When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football is back and in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers Every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code FIGHTDISCIPLES to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code FIGHTDISCIPLES. The crown is yours. This, 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 is, 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 Fight Disciples. Welcome to podcast episode number 771. We are the Fight Disciples. We are back. And this is your boxing review show. Before we get stuck in, I know it's been a little bit of a hiatus. You've missed us. I get it. But just a little reminder for maybe first time listeners. We don't want this to be a one-hit uh, wonder. We want you to be in a relationship with us. So hit up our website, fightdisciples.com. Uh, every single link under the sun to our podcast is there. So if you need it on Spotify, you can get it. Google Play, you can get it. Apple, you can get it. Please hit one of those buttons as a subscription. It's absolutely free. We don't charge you anything. It's not pay-per-view here, kids. That's right. It's free to wear. So hit the button and then come back on a week-by-week, day-by-day basis for all the content that we do across boxing and MMA. And as well as that... If you prefer to consume your podcast visually, you can get us on our YouTube channel. That's right. Hit, hit it up. Just look for Fight Disciples. Press subscribe. You can also comment on the show and interact with us. We do actually respond to the stuff that is on there. Uh, so go and get stuck into it. Fight Disciples across all the platforms. And we're back. Yes. I promise you, right? I promise you. We'll sink our holidays next year, right? <laughs> I promise you. We'll do that. <laughs> Fuck me, man. Four weeks eh? is a long time, man. Mate, people, I, switch, I switch my phone off and the amount of people that are just battering the living daylights out me going, you lazy bastard. No, I'm gone. I'm on holiday. I'm on holiday. I'm enjoying a bit of downtime. All right? It probably wasn't the right idea, though, for literally us to tag each other at the airport. Like, as you landed, I fucking left. That yeah, probably yeah. wasn't the best idea. So you're right. Next year, we will do a little bit of a holiday sync to ensure that uh, we don't have best part of four weeks. Although it wasn't best part of four weeks. It was more like two and a half weeks, let's be honest, because we had a few guests in there as well. So it yeah. wasn't all bad. And by the way, the guest that we got in was spectacular. Beckett was um, unbelievable. Josh, as always, super Dude. controversial. Dude. And Big Tom. Jesus Christ, Big hey. Tom ringing bells. I loved it. 
Listen, thank you very much uh, to Josh for allowing me to speak uh, on the show. I noticed that Rob took over yours and Tom took over Big mine. Time. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So just kick, kick back, press record and let him crack on. But tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so easy. Mm. <laughs> um, and, hey. to all the, and to all those fighters and promoters, yeah, you've had an easy ride for four weeks, yeah? Yeah, you can come at us. You can mention us in your little shows or you can call us every day under the sun. You can get away with all sorts of little bits and bats. That's sound, man. Yeah? School time. Holiday time's over. You're back in school now. And the, <laughs> and the teachers are revved up. There we go. <laughs> teachers got receipts. Let's That's go. <laughs> Let's fucking go. <laughs> oh, it, is, it is funny watching from afar, isn't it? When you sat on a sun lounge with a pina colada in your hand. And it's all kicking off. There's fire going on all around you. And you think to yourself, should I? Yeah, exactly. Should I, should, should I message now? Should I get involved? No, just leave it. Just leave it. Just switch off. Let it, let it, let it go. Oh, mate. Uh, there's been a lot going on, hasn't there? Um, obviously, AJ, since we've been away, there's been officially cleared nonsense, which we kind of told you about anyway. Um, AJ's had a knock. Got himself a, a knockout victory. There's been low blow uh, contract. I said, well, you were aware for that. Low, low blow uh, controversy. Mm. Um, and loads of other little bits and little, little other bits and bats. Did you did you completely switch off, or did you tune in whilst you were on the sun lounger? Just uh, I was delving I, into the stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> I delved in a little bit. Obviously, I had my ears wide open. Obviously, I had a little cheeky login for the. TNT Sports backdoors. So I, I, I watched the Usyk fight, of course, live and unleashed. Uh, so I've got some quite strong takes on that as well. But yeah, listen, it's been a, it's been a mad time. You know, I think there's been a couple of failed drug tests or a couple of drug test maneuvers in the last four yeah. weeks. Like fucking hell, it's boxing, man. It never slows down, does it? You know, just when you think you can tie it up and put a little bow on something. And here comes the next controversy coming over the hill like the uh like the Lone Ranger. So yeah, it's uh loads to catch up on. Loads. Where do you want to start? Because there's a lot going on in the heavyweight division. I think we should end with the weekend. We should end with oh yeah, 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 yeah. performance. We should end with you know uh, maybe a little bit of Lyndon Arthur from Friday night, but we've got to get stuck into the big headlines and the big talking points that we up until now, haven't had chance to give uh, our two cents where. So where do you want to start? You want to start with AJ? You want to start with Hellenius? You want to start with Usyk? Or his cup? Where do you want to start? Start with heavyweights then. Go on. Because I nip back then after a day to do AJ. So go on. What did you make of it watching it from afar? Um, Listen, I thought it was a the exact kind of performance I thought it was going to be. I, I expected that from AJ. I expected him to continue with this kind of safety-first attitude, because this is who AJ is right now. You know, he's he's reinventing himself as a boxer, and he's sticking with it, and he's sticking to his guns. And I think it was the perfect opponent for him mm. um, to to use these new attributes and use this new game plan style to basically feel his way into the fight. I thought there was times when he looked very rudimentary, but again, he's AJ in development. Whether that's right or wrong. Where that stands up in terms of a showdown with Deontay Wilder, who the fuck knows? But what I do know is, if you get rid of the six or seven rounds that led towards it, the finish itself was great. Mate, he got his feet nice and close. He mm. detonated the big right hand over the top. Helenius's chin was swinging in the air. 
and he nailed it. So in terms of a viral single moment, that's what I wanted to see. I wanted it a little bit earlier, if I'm totally honest, but we got it. We got the finish. Hopefully AJ's confidence level is building back to where it needs to be. But yeah, I'd say it was a, a C plus in my opinion. It was certainly a pass, but it was a C plus. We're pretty we're still far away from A's and B's, kids. I thought his feet and footwork was some of the best that I've ever seen of AJ. I know that people might come at me for that, but it, it really was. The way that he was getting in and out of range and controlling distance against, listen, a C-level opponent, absolutely. Last-minute opponent, too. Uh, I thought was some of the best that Anthony Joshua has ever had. The problem is, is that when he gets there, he doesn't let his hands go. And that's, right. the, and that's, the, and that's the key thing. So he'll get, he'll get into that range, and then he'll come back out the range, or he'll go into the range and he'll do a single jab to the stomach or a, a single jab and then he'll be out. Whereas what we've been used to, I said used to, in his first 18 professional fights, he was just in, man. And once he got into that range, the hands would go, fours, fives and sixes had landed, sting his opponent and then he'd overwhelm him and ended up taking them out. Obviously, as you've just rightfully pointed out, he is trying to become Anthony Joshua 2.0. And he is moving away from what his natural thing is, that wrecking machine, into trying to become a boxer. And right now, he's working. He outboxed Jermaine Franklin, again, another C, maybe even D-level opponent. Uh, and he's done it just now with uh, Hellenius. He tried to do it with Usyk, and he ended up falling short, as we all saw, didn't we? Now, the, the, the overriding thought process is always, how does this work when you step in with Deontay Wilder, who most of us would class as an A-level opponent? Guy that had, has a ridiculous amount of knockouts, WBC champion for God knows how long, only falling short. Uh, against the top boy, Tyson Fury. That style wins rounds against Deontay Wilder. I'm convinced of it. Deontay Wilder is not an elite, fleet-footed boxer. Everybody knows that. We've seen Luis Ortiz outboxing for large percentages of the fight before he got bingoed. Uh, and we've seen various other people do the exact same thing to Deontay Wilder. So Anthony Joshua's new style, this thing that he's developing with his, with his coach, Derek James, absolutely wins rounds against Deontay Wilder. The only problem is Deontay Wilder's not trying to win rounds. That's not what he's trying to do. He just wants to be perfect for one second. That's it. Can Anthony Joshua be perfect against Deontay Wilder for 36 minutes? Maybe. Maybe. It's a conversation point. Maybe. But still, if those two guys were to meet right now, I would back Wilder to be perfect for one second than Anthony Joshua to be perfect with his new style for 36 minutes. That's where I'm currently at with it. Yeah. Obviously, we've not seen a lot of, of Wilder since the, the Fury trilogy, since the back-to-back -back second and third fights. But obviously, the one fight he has had was against the same opponents, Robert Hellenius. And against Hellenius, obviously, we all seen that Hellenius lasted less than three minutes against Deontay Wilder. But what I will say is Hellenius went on the front foot against Deontay Wilder. He didn't really do that too much against AJ early on. But again, you know, AJ's in development. I don't think the game plan ever for AJ was to get Hellenius out of there, take a roll of dice and push for the finish inside the first round. Maybe not even the first five rounds because he never really got close enough to do it. He never really let his hands go to do it. So it'd be, it'd be tough to say, oh, well, he did it in one. He needed seven. So clearly there's a disparity there. Wilder's game plan is always chin you as quickly as possible. Land as big shot and get you out of there as quickly as possible, especially if you're someone like Robert Hellenius, as you say, at sea level heavyweight. So I think it's harsh to say that. 
when you look at both their careers as well, there's no comparison in terms of quality of opponents over a sustained number of years. AJ, and we've said this many times before, has got the best resume in the heavyweight division. He's beaten yeah. more top 10 guys than not fucking all of them. Most of them put together. So yeah. you can't criticize him there, but you still can't get away from the eye test. You yeah. know, the body of work, yes. The two-time champion, I get it, man. Amazing. But the eye test tells you that AJ, for me, isn't quite firing on all cylinders in being the fighter he now, or maybe the better way to use, the boxer he wants to become. Whereas Wilder is always going to be wild. He's always going to be that guy that throws knockout punches as soon as he, he feels comfortable to do so. And that's generally inside the first round. And I think that's yeah. why still a lot of people are apprehensive who are AJ fans, like me, are apprehensive about jumping straight in with Deontay Wilder next. My only my only caveat to that is, if not now, when? Because AJ's never, ever going to catch up with Fury or Usyk in terms of their technical boxing ability. He's got to find mm. something that works for him. And right now, he's making steps forward. You know, I was disappointed he never stopped Jermaine Franklin, but he did stop Robert Hellenius. Fine, great. I'd like to see him in another fight before before Wilder. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the Wilder fight's probably now, you know, the, the Saudis are putting the pennies together to ensure that that fight happens, if not the end of the year, starts of next year. But if from an AJ perspective, in terms of his, my confidence in him beating Wilder, I still would like to see him just have one more fight. I'd like to see him blow someone out inside two or three rounds before we went, okay, now I think he could he could be ready for it. Yeah. Obviously, that fight was surrounded by failed drug tests as well. Yeah, one for Dillian White, and then you had the post-fight comeback from a... Uh, I think it was the post-fight test, wasn't it, for Robert Hellenius. Um, two, I've got two aspects on this. And again, I don't want to dwell on this because I know this is weeks ago and people have already had these conversations and we're, everybody wants us to get stuck into the Eubank conversation. First thing, Matchroom have obviously learned the lesson from everything that happened with uh, yeah. Conor Penn. I thought yeah. them and the British Boxing Board of Control acted absolutely top class. Failed test comes back, you pull the fight. Bingo. Well done. Correct. Absolutely. Big tick for everybody involved there. Obviously, Dillian White. This is now the third time that he has gone. tested positive. Gone. Not interested. Uh, gone. For gone. me, he's gone. Get him out. Get him out. Okay. On that, moving forward to the Robert Hellenius failed test. Um, I've seen in the aftermath of this, Eddie Hearn and Frank Smith guys at uh, Matchroom, talking about working with Varda in order to try and set up a 365-day uh, testing program. And I'm, listen, this is music to our ears, man. Absolutely. We've, uh, we've highlighted on many occasions on this show the frailties of testing for drugs in boxing. We've highlighted UCAD's testing process, where the majority of their tests are on-the-night tests, post-fight tests not pre-fight tests, because obviously the money and the investment isn't there for the sports of boxing. UCAD is a blanket organization that looks after several other sports. It isn't necessarily boxing specific. We've highlighted this on many occasions. If you've been with us for a long period of time, you've heard us bleat on about this. So anybody that wants to invest money, very similar to what the UFC do, where you use harder and spend countless amounts of millions on testing rigorously, 365 yeah. days a year, in and out of competition for their athletes, we absolutely commend, support, and are right behind. So Eddie Hearn, Frank Smith, Matchroom, the idea is great. Hopefully the implementation 
is going to be there for you as well. Again, working with Varda, who we've all said are the gold standard, the people that are boxing specific, bang on. My issue is always going to be what happens when you catch them? Because obviously, if you're going to implement this process, you are going to catch more people that are yeah. that are obviously uh, taking or, you know, whether it's on purpose or accidentally, you're going to catch more positive tests. What are, and you've got to be black and white, there's too many gray areas with the punishments for failed drug Correct. tests. Let's be black and white with it. Let's say, right, guys, this happened... If we're going to operate strict liability, I personally think that you should. Strict liability, this is the situation. Every fight, as soon as the test comes in, you're suspended. You're not allowed to fight. Yeah. You then get a period of time where you can then obviously plead your case. You're still getting a ban, but you might not get the maximum ban because you might be able to prove, fuck, I messed up. I've taken a supplement here and it's got this in it and I fucked up. I'm really, really sorry. Okay, yeah. you get your two years. You don't get your four years. We'll see you in a bit. Second strike, as you have just alluded to, kind of, when you've been speaking about Dillian White, you're at the game, man. You're at the game. Everybody can make a mistake. That's my genuine take on it. You can fuck up once, no problem whatsoever. You fuck up a second time, it's on you. Yeah. You know the rules. That's it. I just hope it's a wonderful idea. It's coming from a good place. I'm sure it is. Obviously, it's going to cost a lot of coin to be able to do it. So I fully commend Eddie and Matchroom to be able to do that. Let's just please have some proper guidelines for punishment. Let's not be ambiguous with it. Let's really make some big statements. And don't treat the guys that make you a shitload of dough differently to the guys that don't make you a shitload of dough. Let's yeah. treat everybody the same and say, listen, nah, man, two strikes. You are no longer, you, we will no longer represent you. And also have in-house rules. Yes, there's WBC rules and boxing rules, but Matchroom are a massive, huge company. You can have right. your own rules. You can have your own policy. You can yeah. say, listen, this is our policy. You fucking don't. If you don't want to be represented by the best organization in the world, don't fuck up. You fuck up, yeah. you're gone. Go and work for somebody else. We don't want nothing to do with you. I, th I think that could be a really powerful thing going forward. And I hope that that's the situation. Yeah, and that would be that would send out a message to the rest of boxing as well. Absolutely. Because match, Matchroom, of course, Eddie, they've come under more flack than anybody over the last 18 months, two years, because of the drug situ situation in sport, which is clearly prevalent in boxing, quite clearly. And over the last 18 months, whatever it is, they've had, how many is it? Four, five positive tests of fighters related to their cards. I think people are, oh, it's just Matchroom. No, it it's isn't not. just Matchroom. It isn't just Matchroom at all. What I They're will putting on more shows than anybody. Matchroom are doing more shows than anyone. Yeah. And now, since the Conor Ben thing, they seem to have stepped up the testing process more and they're taking it seriously more. And people are getting caught more on Matchroom shows. I don't see that as a negative. I see that as a positive. So I applaud them for that. But you're absolutely right. Eddie can lead the way here. Matchroom can lead the way by going, right, if you're on a Matchroom card, you're getting tested. If you pop, this is your punishment. You can appeal. It'll go down to this. If you pop for the second time on our card, there ain't no appeal process. You get the maximum four-year ban. If you pop for the third time in your career, not just on a matchroom card, if you come to us, you've already had to, and you pop for the third time, we as matchroom, as an organization, will never touch you again. Never touch you again. Yeah. And then you're taking away the windows of these people to win. You know, fucking WBA, whatever it was, have just mandated Manuel Char to fight fucking <laughs> Big Baby Miller for their... Absolutely horrific, horrific decision. But again, 
Eddie got vilified for the situation with Conor Ben, and rightly so. He yeah. completely handled that wrong. But in the yeah. aftermath now, and you know, we'd love to have had him on this show, but on other places he's gone, yeah, hold me hand up. I did, I handled it wrong. But since then, he's been proactive to get to get rid of this situation, to clear Boxing's name a little bit. And yet, it is going to get dirtier before it gets cleaner. We're all going to find even more. You know, it gets worse before it gets better, kids. But you've got to go through the worst bit. You've got to go through people getting tested positive a lot to go, right, it scared everybody to go, fuck that, mate. I ain't touching a thing because look what's happening over there. Everyone's popping hot. And if, if an organization as big as Matchroom were to lead the way, mm-hmm. even fighters with other promotions, they'd be like, wait a minute, I, I don't want to do a course because what if I get a late notice fight to, you know, fight Sonny Edwards for the flyweight title if such and such pulls out, I'll pop hot. So I ain't touching fuck all ever again. Because I'm telling you now, you know, you've got to be stupid and naive to think that all these positive tests are accidental. Oh, you're joking. Me? Really? Oh, must have been the eggs. Must have been this supplement that I took. Past that supplement. Must have been this supplement that I took. Oh, my God. You know, you've got to be daft if you believe that's actually happening. So I, I completely applaud anybody that's going to be proactive about it. And they will only get positive chat on this show about being proactive, about cleaning this sport up. I know Eddie got vilified. Lots of other promoters had a little pop at Eddie. Oh, it's always Eddie. It's always Maxim. Okay. Where's your bar testing? Who's getting tested here for this fight? Yep. On your main event, in your pay-per-view card, are the yep. liners getting tested by Varda there? Well, well, fucking yeah. Okay, we see you. We see you. Mate, everyone needs to be off the same song sheet. Otherwise, you're leaving cracks in the pavement for cheats to slip through. So yeah, I, I, I think you're completely right. Let's draw a Ten Commandments of what it is to pop up with Varda. First time... There's an appeal process to get it reduced from four to two. Second time, there ain't no appeal process. You're getting four. Third time, goodbye. We never want to see you in this sport again, regardless of who you are, which is why my stance with with uh, with uh, Dillian White is quite simple. I'm sorry, Dill. You're either the unluckiest bastard in the world or you think we're stupid as fuck. Either way, see you, kid. We don't want to see you in this sport ever again. Yeah, man. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed um, that goes in the right direction. My my brain's... Obviously, I'm thinking Eubank now. I don't want to move on to Eubank until there's a, there's other little bits that we can tick off. Is there anything else that you want to tick off since since we've been away? Well, yeah. I want to, I want to talk about low blows, baby. Oh, low blows. Yeah, go on then. I want, to, I want to talk about cups and strikes and everything else. But yeah, obviously, the, the one of the biggest conversations that went on uh, during our holiday break was, of course, the Daniel Dubois versus Alexander Usyk fight in Poland. Um, where Alexander mate, what a Usyk, place, by the way. Usyk, was it good? Poland. Yeah, it looked amazing. Oh, mate. We need... Listen, I uh, had a conversation with someone at the weekend that the UFC are actually thinking of doing uh, a, a Polish card, my friend. Just, just keep that in the back burner. We might be yeah. uh, might be on a trip. Anyway, go. <laughs> what was Roclar like? Roclar, because that you know you don't generally get to Krakow places like that, isn't it? It's Paul, uh, Gdansk or whatever it is. But yeah, well, actually, the pronunciation of that it looks like Roclar, but mm. it's actually Wrocław. Oh, Wrocław. Yeah, there you go. That's nice. the pronunciation, mate. What was I sensation? You'd love it, right? Because it's got um, sensational architecture. Oh, better me that. Better me. 
bit, bit, absolutely bit of you. Obviously, it was blazing hot sunshine. The ale, cheap as fuck. Oh. The food, absolutely tremendous. And the state, mate, that stadium that they actually had the fight in. Mm-hmm. One tier, 45,000 all the way around. Outstanding. And, not, a bad, not a bad view in the and you And you'll have seen this on the telly. No Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline, fantastic. Replaced it with Chasing Status, Drum and Bass, Sunshine. Fuck <laughs> yeah, I were in a bloody rave. It were unreal. Mega. I do yeah. think it's about time we lay we we put Sweet Caroline to bed, don't you? Oh, it's got to go, man. Sick of it now. Go. Come on. Go. Someone's got to come up with a new idea, a new song. I love that, though. A little bit of drum and bass. Why not? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the fight itself, of course. Listen, nine rounds in Poland. Usyk wins every round, kind of expected. I tip, I actually tip round seven, eight, and nine. I think you did similar from what I, what I picked up on. Um, all to be expected. Everything, of course, very much expected. However, there was a controversial moment in the fifth when Daniel Dubois hit Alexander Usyk on the trunks, and Alexander Usyk I, went down. Bit, I could tell you've been presenting TV at the weekend. Look at you. You, 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 you. <laughs> Look at you. What are you doing? I don't know. Who, who's this new Nick Pete? What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like your news reading. Here he is. Christian Gunnar Murphy's on the fucking fight disciples. Oh, dear. Fucking hell. Right. Oh, Just fucking tell him. Well, we're not. Go on, lad. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Look at your tits right. and teeth at telly like that going, yes. <laughs> and this is what's happened next. <laughs> Mate, I don't know how you turn it off. Once you turn uh, it on, how do you yeah, turn it back off? You're again? like you're like proper Rob Burgundy all the time now, aren't you? <laughs> Oh my god. Go on, Burgundy. Give it us, oh, lad. Let us have it. Jesus. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, Usyk's old mate, Lewis Pabon. Let him have his moments. Let him take let sit down, take a rest. And he did. He milked the fuck out of it. Good Sat lad. on the floor for five minutes, had a lovely little break. Let Daniel get cold in the corner. You name it. Usyk absolutely laid it on thick. There's no denying that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. He just pissed four rounds, four and a half rounds. He's now thinks, you know what? I'll have a little breakdown here. Yep, yep, Sam. I'm all right, ref. Yeah, yeah. Give me the full five minutes, kid. Ooh, better count them. All that kind of bollocks. It didn't hit him in the bollocks. But this is not MMA, kids. You don't have to punch the cup for it to be a low blow. A low blow in boxing is below the belt line. And the belt line is distinguished by the navel, by the belly button. And for me, clear as day, it was fucking low. And if you punch low... You suffer the consequences, and the consequences was Usyk milked the five-minute delay, and Daniel Dubois stood there. And then when Usyk got back to his feet, Daniel still stood there. He didn't even go for it, because I think even Daniel knew that was low. So, yeah, I think it was clear as day. And it shocked me, the amount of conversations that went on. Obviously, it was fueled by Mr. Frampton on commentary. Obviously, a lot of people, myself included, I love Carl Frampton. He's a sensational commentator. But him taking such a strong stance, saying, oh, it's definitely fucking on the belt line. That's fine. That's a completely legit bow. He should be champion. And then, obviously, Frank jumps on, as you would expect. And then the world kind of explodes, going, bah, my yeah. God, that's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> But, no, I'm sorry. 
It was low. Clear as day, it was low. Well, the, it's the, it was the line that you just said there, he should be champion, that is the one that you go, hang on a minute, calm yourself down. The, the shot, I agree with you. I believe it's low, but I can understand the argument of it being borderline. We saw later on that evening, Jared Anderson fighting. He was hitting the exact same area. That referee wasn't calling him. So therefore, it's down to the referee's discretion. So yeah. I can understand being aggrieved with Team Warren, Team Queensbury, Team Dubois thinking, well, that shot wasn't low. I can understand that agreement. But you can't then absolutely say Daniel Dubois should be the world champion. Because no. who's to say that when the referee counts, who's it doesn't get off of his ass, right? I would back, kind of knowing a little bit about Usyk and the type of character that he is, he would absolutely have attempted to get up. The question is, for two and a half minutes then of that remaining round, and of course, with the adrenaline pumping in Daniel Dubois and he's coming at you like a bull in a china shop, are the legs underneath Usyk? Can he get out of the way for two and a half rounds? We don't know the answer to that. So you can't categorically say Daniel Dubois should be the champion of the world. That's horse shit. No. You are basically holding on to one moment, one split second of a eight and a, what was it? Nine round fight where he was completely outclassed. And I get it. I get it. You're in, you've got to look after your guy. You've got to spin that PR. You can't spin the PR past us though. I was there. I watched the fight. The dude was comprehensively outclassed. And the bigger question now for Daniel Dubois is that we've got two moments. That when the heat is turned up on him, mm-hmm. he chooses not to continue. And that yeah. has happened now on two separate occasions. It happened, obviously, against Joe Joyce, where he was actually in that fight. It was a lot more competitive than what we saw in Poland. He was well out of the fight in Poland. He will say, well, I was disheartened by what happened in the fifth round. Okay, you hang on to whatever you want to hang on to. I was watching that fight. Usyk slowly turned the heat up after round number uh, five. And you didn't like that heat. Mm -hmm. Every single heavyweight on the planet with anything about them now, if you are matched with Daniel Dubois, you know full well, if I can ride his storm and I can turn the heat up on him, he'll go. Mm -hmm. That is where he's currently at right now. Don't get me wrong. Great PR save. Great spin. Change the narrative. Let's not talk about this big fucking problem that we might have here. Let's talk about this. Get that completely. And I would have done the exact same thing if I'm looking after him. But that's the real conversation. If you get matched up with Daniel Dubois, you turn the heat up on him, is he going to go? Yeah, He's done it twice now. That's where we're at. Yeah. The first time you spew it is the hardest time you'll do it, as the Duke once very famously said. Um, yeah. And and that's that's the the, the problem you've got coming back now with Don Charles. You've got to try and rehabilitate him. I know at the end... You know, Daniel was 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 feigning this outrage. He wasn't outraged in the moment. He never no, complained he once when Usyk was sitting on the floor. He just stood in the corner, you know? And it was only because that was the only thing they had to hold on to. And it was only because when they spoke to Frampton, when they spoke to other people, you know, oh, it was fucking close. Like, maybe maybe he should have been a knock. Well, right, okay, well, let's sell that story then. Guy should be world champion. Now he should be on the champion. Referee started, that was a clean body. It wasn't a clean body shot. It really wasn't. You know, and we've seen it on multiple occasions in the past. When they meet in the centre of the ring before the first bell, we've seen it many times. If someone's got high waist yeah. shorts, the referee will go, right, see that there? That's good. See that line there? That's good. And the referee never did that. No, he didn't. The referee didn't clear as day, choose where the belt line was. So you can only go on the waist, on the trunks. 
And the trunks of Alexander Usyk, regardless, oh, yeah, but his, his shorts were like Simon Cowell, weren't they? No, they went. <laughs> they really went. You know, people believe in his shorts were tucked under his nipples. They really went. They, they went. I wouldn't say they were particularly high shorts at all. And when you watch the replay, Daniel's shot doesn't touch any skin whatsoever. Any skin. No. And for no. me, that's the controversial point then. If it's half shorts and half belly, half, half material, half skin, Mate, we've got a real conversation on our hands. Where is it? But it was pure material. It was all shorts. And for me, clear as day. Anyway, regardless, you're right. The tough part now is rehabilitating Daniel. Convincing Daniel, you should be undisputed champion of the world, kid. You've been robbed there. Get yeah. that in your head. Let's keep that narrative going. Forget about the other eight and a half rounds of that entire fight. What, you, what happened in that? Just keep it in your head that you should be undisputed champion of the world. And let's wait till... Let's wait to see who wins between Manuel Char and fucking the big cheat, shall we? I don't know. It's it's, uh, it's crazy talk. It is crazy talk, mate. Do you want to talk about weekend? Absolutely. Right. Let's get into it, kids. Yeah, we listen, we've been away, haven't we? Yeah, we've had 30 minutes to just catch it up. Hopefully, we've you know made you angry again, Re reliving those moments a few uh, <laughs> from a few weeks ago. Uh, let's get into Saturday night. Um because I was lucky enough to be there, right? And <clears throat> was the atmosphere the same as the first fight? Right. The atmosphere of the first fight was great. Mate. Very pro Smith, like the first fight, though, in January. I, uh, oh, mate, very pro Smith. Same Incredibly again. pro Smith. The Scousers came down the 62, man. They took over yeah, the gaff. There was about 18,000 of them and maybe a 2,000 uh, Chris Eubank uh, fans. As you saw Eubank walking to the ring, he was getting booed uh, on the way yeah. in. One thing, listen, I'm a, we're hypercritical of all promoters when they do bad things, when they do things that, you know, we don't disagree with. We'll speak about it on the show. But I'd like to think that we do give a balanced view. So when they do do some good stuff, we sing it and we go, more of this, do more of this. One thing that I will say about Boxer and that Sky collaboration, they know how to rev a fucking crowd up, man. <laughs> the the pre-fight pomp, and they did do a bit of Sweet Caroline, but they also played to the local Manchester crowd by doing a bit of Oasis and all this type of stuff. It was genuinely like being at Glastonbury. It was a Man. concert, 20,000 people going absolutely wild. And you've got to take your hat off to Eubank because he's one of the rare fighters that we do have from British soil that is crossing over into the mainstream. He does connect ah. with, with a, a casual audience. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he connects with the normal dude on the street that might not necessarily be a boxing fan. Maybe mm -hmm. it's obviously because of the name. But yeah. they could they could, they come out to see it. So the atmosphere, mate, pre-fight, pre-main event was fucking ridiculous. Absolutely. Levels of decibel levels have gone through it. Obviously, both guys milked their uh, their ring walks. And we know how the, uh, the the fight played out. Um it's interesting, isn't it, that when you when you speak to people in the aftermath of stuff, there's a lot of after the Lord Mayor's show. Uh, yeah. attitudes and people pe people come at you and say you are Eubank an apology you are hey. <laughs> what, the, what the fuck are you talking about right this is professional sport mm. I work he works in professional sport so therefore on a week by week basis you will make picks and you will base those picks on some base of knowledge something that you have seen in the past and you will give, there's never anything personal. I've gone against mates in the past. I've, I've said, 
I don't think my mate is going to be able to pull that one off because of this, this, and this. Sometimes they prove me wrong. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm proven right. And in this particular instance, I picked Liam Smith to win this on points, possibly late if Chris Eubank Jr. chased the fight. I backed Chris Eubank Jr. to be better than he was in January, but I still yeah. thought that given the body of work, the, the, the career that Liam Smith has had, and of course the confidence that he will take from January, I thought that he would be the guy in better standing to get the job done on Saturday evening. I thought Chris was tight at 160. I thought that was taking a lot out of him at 33 years of age. And when we actually analyze the career of Chris Hubank Jr., what is there there? There's two good wins at 168 against mm -hmm. aging fighters in DeGale and Abraham. Still, and at one, former world champions, though. Right? That, of not, course. That's not cash oh, those wins. Yeah, absolutely. But, the, but at 168, but at 168, Correct. and then at 160, you look at it and you think, Who's he been in with and who is he beaten? Where's the biggest win? And you look at the biggest named winner, you'd probably look at Matt Korobov. But yeah. you look at Matt Korobov and that lasted three rounds because Korobov got injured and he ended up pulling himself out of the fight. So there's That's a caveat right. connected to that. So you think when he's come to this level, he hasn't gone over that line. So when you're making your pick, you go, right, well, my brain and logic and everything that I've seen in January is pointing me in this direction. And I ain't making a backtrack on that. I stand by it. I would. Mm -hmm. I, I stand by the pick that I made pre-fight. What I've now got to take my hat off to is, firstly, the mental resilience of Eubank Jr. What a fucking dude he is. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, he is something else, that lad. And that is probably his biggest strength, what goes on between his ears. Because Absolutely. he got stopped for the first time in his career in January. There's a lot going on in his personal life. Obviously, he suffered serious uh, personal uh, tragedy with his brother yeah. over the last two years as well. Um, we know, obviously, um, there's a situation with his dad. All these things going on in, it, in his life. He walked to the ring after having a week of still talking the talk. Still talking the talk all week. He walked to the ring, knowing what had happened in January... Back to the scene of the crime, same ring in Manchester against the dude that had done it to him in yeah. January. He stands on the ring apron, baits the crowd. He's like, this, go on then, give me more. Give me more, I want more of it. Give it to me. And I'm like going, this fucking guy, man. Yeah. And then he puts in the most disciplined performance of his entire career. Not only... Was he absolutely bang on and listening for once in his corner to, to Bo Mike? But when, obviously, the first knockdown happens, we've seen him get giddy. We've seen him go off to street fighter mode. We've seen him do yeah. those things. Cool. Remain cool. Remain there was calm. One, there was one round, though, where he threw about 20-odd shots. Oh, the fifth, the fifth round. Yeah, but he went like, yeah, yeah, he did go for the kitchen sink in round number five. But I thought it was the most disciplined performance of his entire career. Absolutely a career best performance from Chris Eubank Jr. You've got to take your hat off to that mental resolve, man, because that is different levels of shit. Absolute different levels of shit. Yeah, well, listen, in, in the preview I wrote on uh, last week, I was like, you know, an ego is, is such a dangerous thing because an ego can make you, and it's made Chris Eubank Jr. just like it made his dad. But it can also break you. And I thought it broke him in January because he was too proud 
to get his feet back under him. His, his ego wouldn't allow him to take a knee to recover, to even process the fact that Liam Smith had just smashed him and dropped him heavily. And he was fighting to get back to his feet. When he wasn't ready to get back to his feet, he was wild. He didn't cover up, which allowed Liam to get the finish. And even in the aftermath, you know, he just wouldn't compute that he lost to the better man on the night. And I was like, that's such a dangerous thing. But the ego can be so... When you've got that supreme confidence, it does allow you to have this moment where you can go, nah, man, fuck all that. I don't care what I should be thinking, and that's a loss to a better man. I need to put the work in. And there's an element to that behind closed doors. You don't bring Bomac in for no reason. You do it because mm. you think, you know what? Man, I just need I need someone there that I can rely on in case it does hit the fan. You're right. For me, the most impressive Eubank performance because of that discipline because of the way he approached the fight, because it was back in Manchester, because he was getting in there with the only man to knock him out in his career. And he went straight back in there with him. He called on that rematch clause and he went straight back in. And you've got to give him so much credit for that. You've got to give... There's nothing but credit for Chris Eubank Jr. after that performance in Manchester on Saturday. He did everything perfectly right. Kind of like Liam did everything perfectly right in January... Mm. Eubank did everything perfectly right on Saturday night. However, however, here he goes. Just, just like January, there was a narrative coming out of January where Eubank was like, "Hey man, come on man, you hit me with an elbow in there." And whether an elbow landed or not, it wasn't that deliberate elbow, but it was a narrative to go. You know what? Did that cause some damage? Is that a reason to see a rematch? Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe the fact that it was a massive upset. To a lot of fans, I predicted Liam Smith would win the first fight, but it was a big upset in terms of television, mainstream audience, everything else. Wow. Okay, we definitely need to see that again. Eubank getting stopped for the first time in four rounds. Come on, man. We need to see that again. For me personally, I think there's an equally strong conversation because as great as Chris Eubank was, Liam Smith was awful. Awful. And I've never seen him so static. Eubank's feet were great. Liam Smith's feet were terrible. I've never seen his footwork as poor as that. He was literally from the second round onwards, or maybe even from the start. He's a slow starter, Liam, so it's hard to say. But from pretty early on, Liam Smith was moving forward. He was shuffling his feet. He was sliding that left leg forward and backwards, moving in straight lines. And he was just loading up. It wasn't the same. That wasn't the same guy that butchered Chris Eubank in, in January. Far from it. Now, I know in the aftermath, Liam has talked about his weight, and that's a separate conversation because I don't believe that for a second. I really don't. What I believe is Liam, Liam Smith had a bigger problem than that. Now, I know a lot of people talk about the ankle, the ankle rolling and all that, and, and you've seen the footage. There's two ways to look at that, and, and, and Tasha brought it up in the commentary. And I've mentioned it to you many times, and you remember when I first told you, you went, why have you told me that? I can't stop looking at it now. Liam yeah. Smith, when he goes to a neutral corner, when he has, when, when a fight stops for a brief second, he's got this terrible tick and he's had it since the juniors. He rolls, he deliberately rolls on his ankles. He like rolls his foot out. And I, I was doing UFC at the time and I was like, I just finished and I picked my phone up and thought, how's the fight going? And I'd seen uh, Enzo Macronelli, big, big, big fight disciple. Enzo Macronelli had gone, something wrong with Smith's ankles. And without even seeing it, without, because by then I still hadn't gone downstairs to watch the fight. I text him back and went, Enzo, don't worry. He rolls on his ankles. You're going to kill me for telling you that. But it's a tick he's got. Don't worry. And Enzo replied straight away, go, no, no. He's just gone over on his ankles. And then someone said, the fight's on downstairs. And I ran downstairs. 
And it was it was actually Liam picking himself up off the floor in round number four, the first knockdown. I watched the fight from then. But when I watched the replay, I was like, okay, that's different because he's stepping forward, his weight's on his foot, and he's rolled over on the ankle. Now, watching the fight from round four onwards, which is what I did, I'm sitting with a couple of the lads. Rob Beckett was with me, obviously a big boxing fan. He was on the show two weeks ago. And I was like, look at Liam's left knee. And every time he put weight on his foot, the left knee started wobbling. And there was many times in the fight where he just kind of like weirdly buckled up. And it wasn't when Chris, and Chris landed a shitload of shots. That uppercut could not miss. But I think the uppercut couldn't miss because Liam Smith was clearly hampered. Now in the aftermath, he's gone, listen, nah, wasn't an injury. Don't worry about it. It was, it was a bad weight cut. You know, I had to cut a load of weight. I'm not buying it. I'm really not buying it. I haven't spoke to any of the Smiths. I haven't spoke to Joe McNally. But I'm telling you now, I ain't buying it. Liam Smith was not 100% in that fight. And I don't I don't take the weight cut as an excuse. I really don't. I've got nothing to stand that on, except 20 years of watching Liam Smith fight. 20 years. I'm telling you now, that was not a weight... I don't believe that was a weight cut thing. I believe there's a serious injury in there. When you were sitting at ringside, could you not see? Eubank looks great. But how bad does Liam Smith look? Like, could, did you not see the legs wobble? Did you not see him, the ankles go? Yeah, but like you, when he comes, I see that ankle roll all the time in Liam Smith fights. So therefore, I wasn't concerned by it. I know that obviously commentators that I was working with, they were picking up on it about the ankles. And I was like, so lads, he does it all the time. So I'm not overly concerned. <clears throat> um, my, I was just blown away with how good Chris Eubank Jr. was. And a lot of the things that Eubank Jr. was doing, <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> excuse me, was nullifying a lot of the things that Liam Smith was doing. Yes, he was he was not at his very best, Liam Smith. There's no doubt about that. And people can talk about ankles. They can talk about weight cuts all day long. I do not want to take away from what Chris Eubank Jr. did. Because you can only beat the man in front of you. I'll give you that. Absolutely. I thought the first two rounds, I was a little bit concerned for Chris because it was very Akoli-esque. It was jab-hold stuff. So he'd throw the jab out and then he'd want to shut that distance because he was concerned. Listen, you've been knocked out in January. You're concerned about being in those short, dirty ranges with Liam Smith. He throws those lovely shots on the inside, doesn't he? You don't want to be in and around that. So he's grabbing hold of him straight away, first two rounds. And then he created a nice bit of distance in the third round. And I thought he was brilliant from that moment onward, Chris. Jab was great. He, he had blurring hand speed, but he also controlled the range well. He didn't stay there for too long. He was out the back door, and Liam just couldn't get his work off. No. For, for, from, the, from, from the naked eye, watching it ringside, of course, you can, you can see that Liam's not at his best, and he can't, get, he can't shut the distance with his feet. He can't get his hands off. Um, but I was more blown away with what Chris was doing, mate. I genuinely were. I thought that what Chris was doing nullified everything that Liam was doing. And, it, mate, when it got to the eighth round, I was like, pull him out the fight. Because it's just, there's no that way at that... this point, there's yeah. no way at this point that Liam's going to get the job done. I was like, I was shouting on, on comms saying, listen, Corner should be having a proper conversation now about we pull this because he's yeah. getting peppered. Yeah, and I think referee Kevin Parker made the right decision. I was happy with the stoppage, you know, in the moment Liam was upset about it, but he had nothing to be upset about. You know, he was clearly hampered in the fight, in my opinion. He wasn't landing anything. He never won a single round. Single round against the guy who, just six months ago, he won three. 
of four rounds that happened for me. Liam Smith, you... he won the first two. Eubank had a couple of good uppercuts in round three, which took it for him. And then Liam Smith turned up the volume. For, for the fight to change so dramatically and not be a similar situation, you know, if Eubank caught him early and knocked him out, mate, I'd be like, yeah, man, I get it. Cool. But the fact that he gave him a systematic beatdown on, on a guy that had smashed him in January, honestly, maybe it's just because I've seen a lot of Liam Smith. And I've seen yeah. him box and so listen. many times over the years. And that wasn't him. That was a shadow of him. Honestly, I know this, this may sound dramatic, but it reminded me of Hay, of Bellew versus Hay One. That's how bad it was. He was a sitting duck. Couldn't get out the way. And that's just but, not Liam Smith. At no yeah, point was he able to change it up. At no point were he able to go, right, game plan number two, kid. Let's do this. He was just the same fighter, shuffling forwards, shuffling backwards. A sitting duck target for Chris Eubank. Chris must have thought, I've fucking won the lottery year. This is not the same guy. Brilliant. And you know I what? Got... I've seen Conor Ben's comments afterwards, and Conor Ben was like, mate, Liam Smith was gone after round two, and you took eight, another eight rounds to get rid of a hampered man. I'd have done it a lot quicker. And he's going to say that. He's creating a narrative. He's trying to sell a fight between them. We'll come on to that in a second. But on this occasion, I have to agree with Conor. I'm like, I'm watching it going, you're going to win every round because look at the state of Liam Smith. That's not the guy. But that also wasn't Eubank Jr. And no, that's the great. thing. Mate, and you've got to look at January. He is, for the first time in his career, he's hired a nutritionist. On the scales on Friday, he looked absolutely outstanding. Whereas in January... He always looks ripped. He January always looks shredded. Yeah, but January he looked drained. He didn't look drained on, on Friday. He looked yeah, good. Give me that. And then... He's hired Bormack, and okay, it's five weeks. You can't really flip it in five weeks. But when you actually listen to what Brian McIntyre was saying about his relationship with Chris, he said, listen, I can't do fucking wonders in five weeks, but what I can do is just tweak tiny little things and hope that he fucking listens to me whilst we, when we get in there. And, I was, and that was one of the key things. I was watching every single moment he goes back to the corner he was switched on and lasered into what Bormack was saying. And Bormack was drilling it. Very plain, very simple instruction, drilling it. And then he'd carry it out for three minutes. And that's another key thing as well from a Eubank Jr. point of view. We've never seen him box a full listen. three minutes. He, yeah, listen and box a full three minutes. He goes out, he does something flashy, and he thinks, won the round now. And then he fucks about, goes for a walk, goes for a little bit of a, you know what I mean, and switches off. Hence, then getting caught. I, I understand what you're saying about Liam. And it wasn't the very best vintage Liam Smith that we've it was seen the worst. previously. It was the worst. That's the worst Liam Smith I've ever seen. I've got to be honest. But, that's the worst but I've ever seen. was that because Eubank Jr. did that to him? Because we've never seen that version of Eubank Jr. I have no. now completely changed my thought process on Eubank Jr. and what he could actually do. If he can do yeah. that in five weeks, go and work, keep working with Bormack. Keep working with him. Keep listening. Keep doing Absolutely. what you're doing. What could happen? For Chris Eubank Jr. I just, I came away from Manchester Arena. I'm thinking to myself, I hope that Chris Eubank Jr. in three, four, five years time doesn't look back at this moment and kick himself and think to himself, I should have fucking done that earlier. I should have got a nutritionist in. I should have took this seriously. I should have listened. I should have got a proper got a coach. coach in. I yeah. should have done all these things because how could, how good could I have been? He's got yeah. to this stage earning shitloads of fucking dough in yeah. mad fights, blagging it 
He's blagged his whole career to this particular point. And for the first time, he takes it seriously and he goes and puts in a performance like that. And you think to yourself, I hope you don't look back and regret that you didn't do that earlier, mate, because you, you've, you've got all the athletic attributes that are needed. You've got a massive set of stones on you, as we've proven with the mentality monster Absolutely. that this kid is. Could he have learned and could he have been taught to become something really special? I guess we'll never know. He's 33 years of age now. It's, it's going to be difficult to be able to put all those things together. But that's my overriding thought that, fuck, why don't you do this earlier, you prat? Because <laughs> yeah. you've obviously got some it. Yeah, listen, I, I, again, I, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. I don't want to take anything away from Chris's performance because I think he was outstanding. From start to finish, he was outstanding. Just again, everything we talked about, the build up to the fight, to take the fight, the same venue, the same arena, knowing the crowd were going to be against them like they were in January, knowing he's going in there with the guy, the only guy that's ever stopped them before, having that fear factor, overcoming it. Absolutely incredible. And it could be the making of him. And as you say, hopefully the big fights come for him now. I think there's a real um, clear sign there that do we not need to see a trilogy I think so do we get a trilogy absolutely not because Chris Eubank Jr will ride off into the sunset now because with all due respect there's bigger name opponents there's a lot more money on the table with three or four at least other opponents out there and that's unfortunate for Liam Smith but Ooh, those are the, break, it, those, those are the breaks that's fight give sports who well, if they can get this Golovkin fight done, if they can get Kel Brook done, if they can obviously the fight that no one wants to see, but we're probably going to get, which is that, which is uh, Conor Ben, they're all bigger fights. Two of them are domestic. Two of them are pay per view. Yeah. Two of them, listen, the Smith family name will go down in British boxing history as the yeah. greatest brothers that ever stepped inside the ring. Fact: the fucking four of them were elite level fighters. But with all due respect. And I love them to bits. They don't carry the same name no. as Conor Ben or even Kel Brook right now. Yeah. Kel Brook is a bigger mainstream crossover star. That's just That's... the way it is. And that will generate more money for Chris Eubank Jr. And guess what? Chris got what he needed from this fight. He's got everyone going, fucking hell, Chris. Absolutely amazing. He's got a 10-round shutout with a rubber stamp finish over the only guy that's ever stopped him. Why the fuck would he want to do it again? Absolutely no reason whatsoever for him to do it again. So I understand that he will ride off. Mate. But for me, the best performance of his career, which was Saturday night, he looked great. I'm super excited, like you. What comes next? Fantastic. But I will never, ever sign off on the fact that he never defeated a broken man in there because Liam Smith was a broken man. If Chris did that, mate, respect to Chris. In my personal opinion, Liam was broken by either himself in the ring or prior to the fight even happened. Eubank in the past has talked about, obviously, world titles and wants to become world champion and all this type of stuff. I think the time is now. You look at this... Listen, I, I still stand by the fact that he is maybe better at 168. But 168 is wiped out, right? Canelo's your yeah. guy at 168. I don't think any of us are going to sit here and say Chris Eubank Jr., even with Bo Mack and this great training, is going to get to Canelo at this stage. Right? So his best opportunities are at 160. In the immediate aftermath, he mentioned a couple of guys, didn't he? Kel Brook. He mentioned, obviously, Conor Ben. And he's, he's mentioned Gennady Golovkin, 41 years of age. Golovkin doesn't hold any of the belts. He's relinquished them all. He's not a world champion at 160. So I understand those from a money-making point of view. But they're always going to be there because you're Chris Eubank Jr. 
For me, the time is now to try and take advantage of what is happening at 160. Do you want to get in with Jaribek? Do you fuck? Stay away from that, right? Try your best to stay away from it. Jamal Charlo has not fought for over two and a half years. He's the WBC champion. Mm-hmm. With this win, I think he would be right. If he, if he is to take Liam Smith's ranking, he's going to be ranked number three with the WBC. Charlo's mm-hmm. talking about coming back at the back end of this year. Yeah. Get on that train, mate. This is your shot. This is your opportunity to try and get that shadow diluted and become a legitimate world champion. I, if I'm Eubank now and his team, I'm attempting to try and get that world championship fight against Charlo. It might not go his way because Charlo's fucking the business. It might not go his way. But if it doesn't come, Charlo, go his Charlo's way. Charlo's in a mad place though, isn't he? That's yeah, absolutely. The, you know, but it, it might not go his way, right? And if it doesn't, there's no shame in that because everybody in the world of boxing knows that Charlo's a top boy. So if he falls short there, the name of Eubank isn't going to diminish. These other fights that we're talking about are still going to be there. Kelbrook wants to come back. Chris Eubank Jr. versus Kelbrook is going to cross over and sell massively with the mainstream. And I know that you just said there, obviously, from our point of view, we want Conor Ben and his name to be completely cleared before we see him fighting once again on British soil, right? And hopefully that happens. I I want that to happen. I really do. But the mainstream don't give a fuck about what's happened. They don't give a shit. If they were were to book Conor Ben, Chris Eubank Jr. next, it would be... it would be as big as fucking AJ Fury or Fury, what, what, you know, one of the, the sell biggest. Stadium. Mate, it would sell a stadium. Do a stadium easy. Absolutely do a stadium easy. It would be fucking, it, obviously it can't happen right now on UK soil because one, Conor Ben doesn't have a British Boxing Board of Control license. He has an American license of which needs to be okayed by the British Boxing Board of Control to happen in the, in the UK. And I don't think the fight does anything anywhere other than right here in Great no. Britain. So you kind of need, obviously, pro- the process to play out, Connor to be cleared for that fight to happen. But whether we like it or not, it is absolutely gigantic now with what Chris Eubank Jr. has done at the weekend, mate. Personally, for, for me, though, Chase Charlo, it's there. Yeah. He hasn't fought for two and a half years. That's your best opportunity of becoming a proper world champion. Get Try and get your hands on it. Yeah. Listen, I think he fights Conor Ben, whether we like it or not. At some stage, that fight's going to happen. And I 100%. think it happens inside the next 12 to 18 months as well. But as you say, Conor, as yet, hasn't been cleared. There is a, an appeal process that is still being heard, we believe, although it's gone very quiet. The situation there isn't done. Obviously, Eddie straight away was like, bump, you bank Ben, bigger than ever. And he's right. You know, He's right. He's right. Fortunately, for all the negative press that's been around Conor Ben, it's still press. It's still conversation, and it's been a mainstream press as well. It's crossed over massively. And now Eubank's got that signature win, which will blow his stock right up again as well. And I just think the that fight is an, an inevitably going to happen. I'm like you. We're, we're on the same boat. We can't stop it. I just want Conor Ben to go through the full due diligence of what he's done, what he's been accused of. And I want him to either clear his name, suffer his penance, and then we get the fight. Because British boxing needs that. And I think, again, not to not to clap too much about Eddie Hearn, because we love to give Eddie a kicking as much as anybody else. But I like the fact that Eddie's gone now, nah, man. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen in the UK. Because he could have done it in the Middle East. 
That could be happening in Saudi Arabia. It's a favourable time. He knows it don't make dumb. He knows it yeah, doesn't, but it doesn't matter. Crowd, man. It, does, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter because there's a few expats out in Abu Dhabi or whatever. They could they could fill a, a stadium easily with that fight. And the timeline would be perfect for a UK pay-per-view audience anyway. So he could do it, Adam. Don't believe he couldn't because he could have done. But credit to where these guys now, man. If it's happening, it's happening in the stadium in the UK. And it makes a lot more money in the UK because, of course, a stadium that makes 20 million quid or whatever it is, just for tickets. There you on go. So there I you go. get why he's waiting. <laughs> but, <laughs> there you go. But he could have he could have done it. He could have locked it in. He could have gone to the Middle East. And that might still happen. You know, if the, if the appeal process is successful, then it might still ride off to the Middle East anyway. But it's happening. So get ready for it. Mm. And for me, I think it makes that makes more money for Eubank Jr. than Kelbrook and Charlo. But it's about what Chris wants to yeah. do. I, I believe Chris wants to follow in his dad's footsteps and be a WBC world champion. And you're right. Hopefully. With Conor Bell still in a bit of litigation situation, chase that Charlo fight, man. And if Charlo's still not ready, put pressure on the WBC to go, hey, fucking hell. This kid hasn't fought for two years. Where are you at mentally and all that? I get it. Support him. Fantastic. But it's been two years. Yeah. And Someone's got to fight for that belt and then bring him back. And the guy above him in the rankings, if he is to take Liam's ranking, and I, I imagine that he would, the guy above him yeah, yeah. is Golovkin. There you go. Uh, so you get your double bubble then. So if they put Bingo. pressure on the WBC and they say, all right, then we'll put him in recess, we'll do Golovkin versus you for the championship, you're, you're, win, you're win, fucking win. crack. You've got two, two birds, one storm, mate. Yeah. And then win, lose, or draw against Golovkin, you fight Conor Ben, who by then should have had a stay in court. And then you do a stadium fight. So you go and fight Golovkin, probably in America, Las Vegas, New York, wherever. You potentially become WBC champion. You potentially get the one win on your record you've been chasing forever because Chris has got this weird fascination with you, with Golovkin. <laughs> but regardless, even if Golovkin beats you, and you know what? After that performance, I fancy Chris to give Golovkin, who's about 50, a fucking hard night, a good night. Especially if he carries on working with Bomach. You're right. But even if he comes out empty-handed, he cashes in with Connor then anyway. Chris is in a win-win situation. Yeah. There you go. All in all, good night, man. Good night. Um, Adam Azim was also in action. Um, listen, people are always going to be critical of certain things with young fighters coming through. I actually liked a lot of this. This is his ninth professional fight. Goes the distance. We don't get the viral knockout, but what we do see is a young lad, 21 years of age, figure it out. First two, three rounds, I actually thought, fucking hell, mate, you're in a bit of trouble here because this kid knows what he's doing. Um, navigating the fight quite well. A well-seasoned pro. Twenty, I think he had 26 fights, 25 wins, one loss. Doesn't have the punch power. Don't get me wrong, Banyan. He, di he didn't have the punch power to trouble Adam Azim. But early doors, he was absolutely wily enough and far more experienced to just navigate three or four rounds there. I'm thinking, you're going to have to figure this out, Sunshine, because what you're doing ain't working. You're going to have to push him you because he, he loved coming forward did uh fanyan you've got to make him go the other way sunshine how are you going to be able to do that and i thought with obviously shane who's in the league corner they did figure it out and by the back end of the fight he starts to go through the gears and starts to look really really good okay we didn't get the viral finish um but still when people talk about learning fights i actually think this was a really good one for adam azim yeah, listen, I think there was some good matchmaking on this card, you know, and, and credit where it's due with Boxer. They don't always get it right, what promoter does, but I thought there was some good fights on this card, some real entertainment, and was happy for Adam Azim. 
I want him to see. Do, I want him to see him do rounds at this stage in his career. On paper, Fanny Am was a great opponent. In reality, he was a good opponent, but he, it was a calculated, calculated opponent, as you say, because you know the kid can't really punch his way out of a wet paper bag. But still, it was a good opponent for Adam Azim at this stage, and I like. Adam Azim going back to undercards of big fights every now and again, yeah. you know what I mean? Just puts his feet back on the ground. Listen, kid, you ain't walking last. You ain't even walking second to last. You're fucking in the middle of the card. I think that's a good thing for Adam Azim's long-term development. I thought the Mark Heffron fight versus Jack Cullen, brilliant bit of matchmaking. In the build-up, I was like, okay, okay, I get it. But, you know, this is a good setup opponent for Mark Heffron. Make a statement we've seen. Little levers, meat cleaver, go to the top of the tree every now and again, fall short, but his game is anything. And I'm scrolling through and I see Mick Jennings, Jack Cullen's coach, on social media going, mate, I can't believe anyone thinks Jack gets beat by Mark Heflin. You messing, mate, this is going to be a mass. You wait and see. Can't believe Heflin's took this fight. And I'm like, can okay, now Mick Jennings is superbly confident there. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he was proved absolutely right. What a finish. Yeah. What a shot. Never so, saw. Yeah. I never saw a finish coming in that, mate. Um, no. If if Jack could have kept it long, then you could probably make an argument for him winning this on points. But the power was all with Mark. The momentum was with Mark. Obviously, yeah. uh, Jack was coming off the the crushing defeat to Pacheco. Don't get me wrong, Pacheco's the absolute Class. business, top of the tree. Yeah. But he was brilliant. He was he absolutely was awesome. Jack was superb. Kept it nice and long. And when the finish came, mate, he hit him that hard. He knocked him out twice. Yeah. Fucking outstanding really finish. Did. Fair play to him. Congratulations, British champ. Uh, Fraser Clark, Dave Allen. I never watched it. I didn't think you would. <laughs> I, didn't. I knew that I'd be doing this one on my own. I thought yeah. after the last rant that you gave about Fraser, there's no yeah. way that you even bothered yeah, never, to watch it. I've got better things to do with my life than watch than watch it. <clears throat> yeah, he would listen, he's lucky to not get thrown out of the fight. Couple of low blows in there, uh, Fraser. Um listen, did he look it's underwhelming because you because you kind of you need big viral moments. You want people's attention to be grabbed. It wasn't necessarily there. I absolutely love Dave Allen, um, but he doesn't move his head enough, mate. He's he's there to be hit. Um, I really hope that the amount of punishment that this man takes in a ring doesn't catch up with him later on in life. I thought the court. I thought the corner work from Jamie, outstanding. Obviously, you could tell there's something wrong with his guy, whether it's a perforated eardrum or a laceration on the inside of his mouth. He said, you've had your lot there, sunshine. I'm asking you to do stuff and it's not coming off. We're going to call this after uh, after six rounds. So, again... Who was that, sorry? Jamie Moore was in Dave Allen's corner, was he? Yeah, that's what, that's what he's working with. Oh, right, so, okay. so, Jamie and Nigel um, were in the corner. And Jamie pulled him after six, which I thought was absolutely top. As you always expect with Jamie. He knows what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, top-class corner work. Uh, but Fraser, Fraser rolls on, mate. Again, nothing really to uh, to get fucking crazy about. Michaela Meyer did Michaela Meyer things. Lauren Price yeah. did Lauren Price things. Yeah. All good. Major, major talking point is obviously Adam Azim. Good learning uh, fight for him. And Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, puts in a career best performance. Friday night, Bolton. <clears throat> um, Jesus Christ, mate. Uh, I'll do Lyndon Arthur first because he was taking on Brian Sanchez and Brian Sanchez came for a scrap. Yeah, first three time. rounds, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, go on, Lyndon, do Lyndon things. You're allowed to use your right hand if you want to use it at any point in this particular fight, pal. But, you know, if you just want to do your jabbing, that's sound. And Lyndon's doing Lyndon stuff. Cruising, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Then all of a sudden, nice, juicy, overhand right, lands on the button. 
Woo! Here we go. Now we've got a scrap on our hands. And Sanchez was brilliant. Middle wrap from, obviously, dropping him for a good four, five rounds. I'm thinking, fucking hell, Lyndon. You're going to have to sort this out, son, because this kid is going to run away with this fight. Fair play to him, though. He did turn the tide, I think, in the ninth and then delivered. And I know that you're going to go crazy about this body shot, mate. But he delivered an absolute exquisite, lovely left under the rib cage, bish bash bosh, and stole the kid's soul. He needed it because mm. that fight was in the balance. Yeah, I thought, listen, I thought Lyndon started well. I mean, he was all right he for a couple of rounds. And then suddenly that big shock landed in the fourth round. You think, oh, fuck. And Suarez, Suarez, not Sanchez, Suarez had, had missed weight on, on the Thursday as well. And I'm like, oh, here we fucking go. Oh, my God. Um, and Lyndon had to dig in, man. He had to ride that storm. And listen, it was like the Channel 5 case was going to strike again. I'm like, my God, they just can't get anything right on Channel 5. Fights never happen. The main event is getting beat. Jesus Christ. But full credit to Lyndon Arthur, man. You know, we, we may not recognize the IBO belt, but there was moments in that fight where he was like, mate, this is, this is my world title fight. This is as big as it gets. And I'm going to fight like I want to be a world champion. And he rode the storm, overcome it. And then, as you say, the soul stealer in round number 10. Mate, they're, they're the shots I knock one out over. Absolutely brilliant. Picked it perfectly. Under the floating rib. Good night, Vienna, Mr. Suarez. Thank you for your efforts. Maybe he did. Maybe the weight failing to make weight did hamper him. Did make him a bit softer around the belly. But when you become a champion, and again... It's the IBO belt, kids. Let's not get carried away. It is what it is. It's it's a stepping stone towards something else. It's, an, it's leverage, it's, mate. It's, it's leverage. leverage. And it's a it's a TV broadcaster belt where we can go, we're going to wear a TJ fight. When we haven't. It's nothing. But that's how you want to win any belt. Whether it's a central area belt, a fucking, you know, a, an English title, or even a black world title. That's how you want to do it. You want to be looking good. You want to get fucking chinned. You want to get up. You want a Rocky movie, the shit out of it. And when it matters most, you want to sink your with your opponent with a body attack like that, a body shot like that. That's how you do it. That's how Rocky films are made. So full credit to Lyndon Arthur. Full credit to Suarez, who, who came to fight, man, and came to win. And you know what? Every now and again, that little cheeky hotel up in Bolton delivers... A highlight yeah. real moment, man. Honestly, it's one of the most underrated little small hall venues in the country, that the White's Hotel Gaff, because look at the history of the fights and the finishes that have happened there. Honestly, it's insane. I once saw Crawler get beaten there. Years Danny. and years ago. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it, what are it against? I can't remember who the fuck it was against, but he lost, he, lost, he lost the fight really early in his career. He lost the fight there. Anyway... Answe versus Nutty. Always going to be a good fight. <laughs> yeah, it was always going to be a good fight. British title fights, they, they always deliver. Um, and Mason Cartwright, listen, Answe was fantastic. And yes. I had him well ahead. He was winning absolutely the majority of these rounds. But every yes. single round was competitive, man. Correct. Mason brought it. He had a fucking right old go at this. And he made Answe work. Three minutes, man. If you're going to take these rounds off me, you're going to yeah. fucking earn them. And he did. Absolutely, Answe did earn them. But Mason, he gave him hell all the way through. Fucking hell, that finish, mate, is chilling, in it? When you see someone absolutely bingled and they're still just frozen. Yeah. 
absolutely frightening shit. I felt for Mark, do you know something? The night after Mark Lyson was uh, in attendance uh, for the Eubank night and he, who did he stop? He, was it Heffron? He got, he got, he, he, he made uh, a fantastic call on the stoppage. Oh no, no, Florian Marku it was. Oh, no, right, it was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It was Sorry, the, the Florian Marku fight. Yeah, the first uh-huh. round of Florian Marku. And it was well obvious that it was uh, it was massively overmatched. Mark was well aware of it. Bang, straight in, stops. He said, mate, you're not taking any more. I've seen you take one there. Away we go. Mark pulled the fight nice and early. I felt for him on this one because he couldn't see. He'd, he just manoeuvred his position just behind Mason, hadn't he? And if you actually look at it from that angle, all it looks like is Mason's covering. Yeah, that's all it looks like. It looks like Mason's taking a shot and he's just ducking there because he's expecting a body shot or something and he's just ducked down. But if you look at the other angle, yeah, if you look at the other angle, you could just see that Mason's like eyes have gone and he's just like that. And then obviously after the second shot, he just spins him a touch and then Mark knows and he's fucking straight in, doesn't he? So I did feel a touch uh, for Mark on that moment. But ice cold, man. Antwi was brilliant. Really impressed with him. Yeah, listen, he had that... He come off the wrong side of that fight with Echo Esselman, didn't he, last yeah. year? British yeah. title fight, obviously the, the same fight as this, and it was a close fight. You know, I, I th- he deserved to lose, don't get me wrong. Esselman was great that night, but there was only two or three rounds in it, you know, and, and to come back and just rebuild the way he has, a couple of good wins, Esselman moves on, he gets the the the, the title fight, here. well, sorry, he moved up to Super Bowl to eight, gets this shot with, uh, with Mason Cartwright, and there's no aftermath. And I thought he was switched on from start to finish. Really good. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I'm like you. Super competitive. Nutty always is. Game as anything. Fit as a fiddle. But I thought Antwi won every round. I thought he was yeah, great. He really he good. Did. Really good performance. We did. Congratulations to him. Always nice to see a little bit of Friday Night Boxing on the, on the old mainstream oh, yeah. channel. Great stuff. Yeah. I love it. Uh, and that's our boxing for the weekend. Look at that. It's been nice, hasn't it? Straight back in. You've obviously gone full Christian Guru Murphy on everybody, so uh, nice to have you back, mate. Obviously, you'll mm-hmm. seep back into being normal Nick Pete over the next... Uh, That's it. Seven to ten days, and uh, <laughs> you'll be back in the mix. <laughs> I can't snap out of that presenter kind of headspace now. I need to de- devolve myself back to just being a loud mouth knobhead. Hi, I'll guys. Don't worry. Hi. Hi, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to the Fight Disciples. Welcome. Right, <laughs> there you go. Um, we're back to full strength now, as uh, we've been alluding to over the last seven days. We've got an MMA show as well for you to get stuck into because he was covering uh, UFC Paris at the weekend. Lots to talk about from that. One of the best atmospheres in fight sports, no doubt, in world fight sports. Uh, so if you want more fight disciples, get yourself over there and go and have a little bit of a nosy at the MMA show too. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. As I said at the start of the show, please subscribe to us. You can do it via our website, fightdisciples.com. Everything's there for you. We're also on YouTube. If you're on YouTube now watching us and you're not a subscriber, come on, man, you're not the script. Just hit that button. Job done. Become a fight I'm disciple. I'm for a one-night stand, right. everybody. Make a relationship. Come on. See, he knows. He knows. Look at him. Presenter Pete, he's got it fucking rocking and rolling, hasn't he? Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. We are back and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.